Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Join us for a journey. As we go back to the great civilizations of the past, who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 21, Events of the 860s BC, starring Jezebel. Last time, we talked about the composition of the early Neo-Assyrian Empire. In earlier episodes, we discussed the founding of the Kingdom of Israel under Omri, who had close connections with the Phoenicians. We also talked about how Ashurnapal II, the king of Assyria, ruled the Middle East and how no one dared oppose him. Joining me this week, as always, is Dan, the fan of history. Hi, Brennan. Hey, Dan. How are you this week? I'm good. How are you? Doing quite well. So, looks like we have Asher Nepal II uh, being chosen as king. These uh, ancient Assyrian names are pretty hard to pronounce, but I think it is Ashur Nasirpal II. Oh, yeah. Ashur Nasirpal. I'm sure I am mispronouncing it. I'm, I'm sure I am too, actually. <laughs> Asher Nasirpal. I'll get it right one day. I promise. So, is Asher's chosen king? So, what's uh, what does that mean for the Assyrians? And what's it mean for the future? Well, he has sort of accomplished a goal when they started out. Uh, when his uh, grandfather started the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Okay. He had a goal, and this goal has been reached. So the Middle Assyrian Empire is sort of re-established. The, there is a big Assyrian Empire now, and nobody dares fight Ashurnasipal II. So everyone is paying tribute, and um, 
the Assyrian tribute is heavy and they want to stop paying tribute and rebel, but they, they have given up against this guy. He's too successful. So they figure he won't last forever. Let's just wait till he dies and then <laughs> we rebel. And this means that we have this top-notch army. It's not a full-time professional army, but every year Ashurnasipal II should gather this army and go somewhere. But there's like nowhere to go, so <laughs> he can just parade it around. And this wouldn't work because these warriors want to fight somebody. Of but they don't dare. They don't dare do anything about it either. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashurnasipal uh, II can focus on yeah. his building projects. And he's still building the, the new capital at Kala, the one he had the great party for. Oh, that's right. Where he, he uh, deemed every party goer the new citizen. Yes. <laughs> and this is happening uh, very close to what is today Nimrud in Iraq. Okay. Yeah, there were thousands of forced laborers there. And uh, the city walls enclosed 360 hectares. Uh, there is a huge canal that they dig from the greater Saab River. There are like great orchards and gardens. And he really wants the city to be the capital of the world. But it's not done yet. Wow. 360 hectares is huge. Even, yeah, it's even by today's standards. There, is, there was a great palace, but there's actually a later Assyrian king that sort of steals parts of the, this palace and uh, wrecks it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Uh, so he Pal for these first three years, then 869 to 867, he's just collecting tributes, building the capital, and uh, sits around being awesome. <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, uh, everybody is just <laughs> groveling in fear in front of him, pretty much. And just as long as he doesn't massacre anyone, everybody's happy. Everybody's, yeah. No piles of heads outside the city walls. So everything's yes. good. All right, yeah. makes sense. Check for heads. If no heads, then good. <laughs> then good. Yes. Easy two-step process. Yes. <laughs> Don't give him a reason to pile heads somewhere. <laughs> right. Oh, that guy's weird. So what's going on in... Uh, anything happening special in the rest of the world at this time? Yeah, we get some data from China here. We have uh, King Li... Okay. ruling the Zhou dynasty and he is a pretty bad apple he's corrupt and decadent and these Chinese histories the, the ancient Chinese histories they when people are corrupt and decadent they are really corrupt and decadent so he has all kinds of weird pleasures going on and he has to pay for these he raises taxes China is a misery and everything is just dark uh, but uh, the Western wrong barbarians have something else to do, or the nobles beat them back. So there, there's peace, but it's not because of the king. And people mm. start to question then if this king really still has the mandate of heaven, uh, because that is the divine right to rule China. Sure. Yeah. And the Zhou dynasty was founded on this, that they took the mandate of heaven from the corrupt Chang dynasty. But now the Zhou dynasty itself is corrupt. Right. So maybe somebody should do something about that. I am sure someone will. Considering... Yeah, in 866 BC, Ashur right. attacks China. No, that didn't. Oh, no, wait. We have rewritten history. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But he goes on campaign. Okay. And, well, 
there was a tribe called the Bitsamani. Mm-hmm. And they decided that, well, nothing has happened. We haven't seen any pillars of heads lately. So maybe we could just stop paying the tribute. And um, huh. they do. They just stop paying. Yes. Hmm. And Ashnasipal then finally has somewhere to take his army. And he turns northwest into the mountains, into the land of the Kumuk. That is today Turkey and Armenia. Okay. And the Kumuks are like really upset. They were, what the hell are you doing here? Here is double the tribute. Please go away. <laughs> wow. Shinasipal says, okay. And then he turns east. So he has circumvented the, uh, he has gone around the Bitsamani and he shows up from the wrong direction. Ah, uh, he had a plan. Yes, and this is the tribe that uh, murdered Amebal during the greatest party of all time, if you remember. Yes. And Ashinasipal put his brother Han on the throne in 879. Uh, it's unclear if uh, this guy is still on the throne or if somebody expelled him and or killed him and took over. But uh, they have a capital called Amedu. And, uh, well, it gets the five-step program. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And they decide that we don't have to pay anyone because we are the Bitsamani. Everybody knows us in history because we are awesome warriors. Hmm. How'd that work out for them? It didn't work out very Mm. well for them. Uh, So there was a big battle and a siege. And they, uh, they lose. They pay an enormous tribute. And they actually don't get annihilated. There is no massacre that we know of. Uh, but there's a new king that Ashunasipal puts there. And uh, But they they still live on as vassals. So they're treated quite leniently. Really? And it's uh, weird. I don't know why. So maybe this, this was a very hard-fought uh, victory that the Assyrians were so damaged by the fighting that they couldn't do the regular massacre thing. Uh, but that's just me speculating. Or since they did that big runaround and went to the east, do you think they may have been low on resources and just accepted what happened? Yeah, that, that could also have been the case. We simply don't know. Yeah. But hmm. to the north of this place, in the very mountains, the high mountains of Turkey and Armenia, People are taking notice that this, this happened, that the Assyrian army showed weakness. Uh-oh. And there is a guy among the Nairi tribes who is called Arame, and he, he is fed up with this. He doesn't want to live in fear of the Assyrians. His people, the people of the Nairi, they have been uh, the, the beating, what, what do you call it? They, <laughs> they, they, are, they have been regularly beat up by Assyrians for like three or four hundred years. Oh, like the whipping boy? Yeah, the Middle Assyrian Empire used to do like pleasure trips up to the Nairi and beat them up. <laughs> there are actually in the, in the Middle Assyrian these extreme tales of like Assyrian kings taking 500 cities. <laughs> and I don't know where they found 500 cities in the mountains of Turkey. But Yeah, they found, they found like 10 people around a campfire and called it a city. <laughs> yeah, and they, they name all these cities and the historians are like, what are these places? <laughs> they try to map them to real places and they're like, oh, but I think the Assyrians are just bullshitting. Oh, I'm sure they are. 
I think that would be the least of their crimes. <laughs> <laughs> but remember Arami. Okay. Uh, we go back to China. It's actually still the same year. Okay. Uh, no, it's not the same year. I just made bad notes. Sorry. <laughs> we leave China immediately. We go all the way back. Then we go to Babylon. Babylon. Remember Babylon. The ancient city of wisdom. Yes. Babylon. Okay. The king is Abu Nabu Apli Udina. And he has he's still completing this amazing feat of diplomacy. That he's just a buddy of Ashnasipal II. And uh, there's just never any fighting. There's, he Remember, he sent troops to fight against Ashnasipal. And Ashnasipal just forgave him. Or maybe he blamed his brother or something, but... Uh, Just pointed the finger. Yeah, this guy is still around. And he makes, uh, during his reign, they make uh, the Sun God tablet. And this is an artifact that was recovered from Sippar in Babylonia in 1881. It is in the British Museum and it's, uh, uh, it's very well preserved and very clear and one of the great Babylonian artifacts. It's pretty small it's uh, th this is like how youtube works better because then i could show it to yeah, okay to describe it uh, shamash is the babylonian sun god okay uh, this thing is 29 times 17 centimeters is that one foot times eight inches perhaps uh, and there's a huge sun god and right in front of him is nabu Aplidina. And there is a story, there are letters around telling a story about how the city of Sippar was lost to the Arameans. Remember, the Arameans are running around in the countryside being behaving like orcs. And the Assyrians have stopped them from doing this and assimilated them, but in Babylon they are still running around causing chaos. And this city was lost, and the sun god's temple was lost, and the Arameans carried away the statue of the sun god. So Nabu Aplidina restored the temple and the city and drove away the Arameans and put the sun god's priests back in their temple. And oh. this uh, tablet is made to commemorate this great event that happened around this time. Wow, okay. I think I will still talk about these, these great Babylonian relics because this is one a thing you could actually go and... Uh, you can actually see it, it's still around. I hope I can go to the British Museum uh, later this year. It's, we are recording this in August 2015. That'd be very cool. Yeah, there'll be some videos then. I don't know if I can film in the British Museum or not, but I'll try. <laughs> maybe if you don't use a flash, yeah, and maybe I... if you hid your phone in your pocket with the camera sticking out. Maybe yeah, you could I could do, do that, and then I'll talk <laughs> over it later. Right. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way, Dan. <laughs> yeah, there, I've seen videos of, of these places. So somebody has done it. <laughs> we move to the next year then, 865 BC. And this is the year when the great city of Kala is finished. It's released time. And some sources claim that the greatest party of all time was dated to this year. But as one of the subplots of the greatest party was to capture workers and citizens for the city, I don't yeah. think that's the case. Oh, because you would have to finish the city after you captured all the workers. So, yes, and yeah. it took 14, 15 years. So that seems reasonable. That's actually quite an accomplishment still. All right. 
So now Ashur Nasipal II is done. He has re-established the empire, he has won all his wars, he has built his city. And uh, there are no great rebellions against him anymore. And everybody goes into this mode of just waiting for him to die. And he is aware that he's not immortal. We don't know his age at this time because the Assyrian kings never tell us how old they are. Because they have like this weird imagery where every Assyrian king looks the same and they try to look the same and it's like it's the same guy. But there is an heir appointed to the throne. So he chooses one of his sons and we, I don't think we know if it's the oldest son, but he has chosen the son that he thought was the best for the job. Okay. So there is a crown prince and he takes as always a name of one of the great kings of old. Shalmaneser I was one of the best kings in the Middle Assyrian Empire and this guy is Shalmaneser III. <laughs> we'll talk a lot about this guy. Does he try to live up? to uh, being the heir of the Lord of Massacres. <laughs> yeah, imagine this situation. Like, <laughs> your, your world is filled with enemies that hate your dad, just, just waiting for him to die. <laughs> and when he dies, they are coming for you. Right. Because they've had how many decades now of ridiculous tribute they've had to give? <laughs> well, it's about, uh, yeah, when did Colton and Earth die? It's about 20 years. 20 years, okay. Yeah, so, um, well, Shalmaneser III has uh, a big job ahead of him. Yeah. Maybe he's a diplomat. Maybe he'll talk his way out of a lot of this. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the name of our episode 24, The Charm of Shalmaneser III. Yeah. Such a, such a looker, that Shalmaneser. Yeah, we will, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, then we have like four years where I don't know anything that happened. That's interesting. I, I'm sometimes amazed at how how good these sources are, and we know so much that happened three thousand years ago. It's crazy. It is a feat. It's a tri triumph of you know humans in general, yep. us being able to record and actually want to preserve what has happened. Yep. And the Assyrians were good at this because they preserved everything in stone. But in um, the Levant, in Phoenicia, people... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. 
Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. To preserve things on paper because they have the alphabet and they're writing things down on paper so we don't know much because all the paper is gone. Yeah. But we know that the city of Tyre has become the leading Phoenician city. And the Phoenicians were traders and seafarers and never warriors. Uh, and at, in 860 BC, they build a new harbor and call it the Egyptian harbor, probably because they have a lot of trade going on with Egypt. Okay. And they are competing with Byblos, another Phoenician city. And I think they named this harbor the Egyptian harbor just to attract Egyptian trade. Ah. Uh, do a little... Uh little vanity for the Egyptians. Yeah, remember the pharaohs put their statue, they gave statues to the kings of Byblos. But now Tyre is taking over as the number one Phoenician city. Dun, dun, dun. The king is Itubal. Baal is then a very important Phoenician god. Right. Uh, he is a usurper. He was a priest to, uh, of Astarte, and that's pretty strange that he's a priest of Astarte because he's named Ithobal, indicating that he is devoted to the god Baal. Right. And he has paid tribute to Ashnasipal II when Ashnasipal showed up at the Mediterranean just a couple of episodes back. And he keeps paying enough tribute to keep the Assyrians away. <laughs> but he has formed an alliance with Israel and the house of Omri. And he has married his daughter to the king of Israel, Ahab. Okay. And we have to talk about this daughter because she's, she's probably a lot more famous than Ashurnasipal II. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this daughter. <laughs> yes, yeah, so she has sort of become synonymous of an evil woman. And I think that's very, very bad press in the Bible that is undeserved. So I will try to defend her. Sure. In a later episode when she has her great moment in Israel. But she is Jezebel, the queen of Israel. She's the first strong female we've talked about, I think. And she gets a lot of hate. Right. And I was searching when I did a YouTube show for the images of Ithobal and Jezebel, and I found like one image of Ithobal and a thousand images of Jezebel. <laughs> Uh, things that were called Jezebel that were obviously not this old. Of, <laughs> of course. Queen of Israel. And uh, she's pretty much uh, blamed for every pagan thing happening in Israel. But Ahab was a worshipper of Baal even before they got married. So he is, he is into Phoenician religion already. Right. And uh, the name Jezebel means where is the prince? Which sounds strange, but it's a ritual cry used in Baal worship. Hmm. Baal is the prince. Right. And the biblical stories are quite unhistorical, it seems. The Book of Kings is written about 200 years after this time, during uh, the Babylonian, or right before or during the Babylonian captivity. And they have a big interest in the Bible of making all the Baal worshippers, the house of Omri, 
King Ahab, Jezebel, Ithabal, all of them are like villains in the Bible, and that really shows. Yeah. But there is a prophet called Elijah, uh, and he is really skeptical to Jezebel and Ahab. So there is Team Baal versus Team Yahweh going on in Israel. Yeah, this this happens a lot in the past, I don't know, past 2,000 years, where you have um, someone like Jezebel disrupting the status quo and then being made evil, you know, being made a villain out of it. Yep. So I, I'm glad that we're going to talk more historically about her rather than um, depicting tales of her. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there, there is a good way of saying it. Sadly, the Assyrians are, um, they, they actually confirm part of this story, but we'll, we'll talk about that later as well. But the Assyrians are not around too much, so they don't get to record anything. So we have, <laughs> the Old Testament is, um, yeah, absolutely the most loud source for this period. Of course. Uh, for the last five years of this decade, then, Assyria is at peace. Uh, Assyria do, do a lot of trade. I assume they just gather the royal army and march around and scare people every <laughs> year. But they, they are not really fighting. There is the total number of campaigns uh, of Ashurnasipal uh, leaves me missing one campaign. And that campaign is supposed to happen in these last five years. But there is no record of it. We don't know where they went, who they fought. But we can assume that Ashurnasipal maybe kicked some ass for the final time. One last go of it. Yes, and the Assyrian army, the Assyrian Empire now is stronger than any Assyrian army uh, empire has been before it. It's it's really strong, and that's where we leave it for this uh, this episode. So oh. where do you want to go next? Well, what's uh, we haven't talked about them in a while, but what's going on in Europe? Well, the Villanovans are hanging around in Italy, waiting for my cue to become the Etruscans <laughs> that people maybe know more about. Okay. Uh, we did uh, two episodes ago. We did uh, Greece, sure. and that's uh, that pretty much applies still. still. Uh, the Phoenicians are traveling around in the Mediterranean, uh, but their, coloni uh, their colonization process is very trade focused. So they are like putting up colonies, taking down colonies, trading there, trading here, and it's poorly documented. But Phoenician artifacts keep popping up uh, all over the Mediterranean. Uh, we don't know if they brought them there, if somebody bought them, bought it from them and brought it there. And so right. but the Phoenicians are, uh, if, you, if you encounter somebody traveling on the Mediterranean in this age, it's probably a Phoenician. And there might be a few Greeks, but not, they are not going far from Greece yet. Okay. Anything going on? Uh, what, you kind of mentioned it a little earlier, but what's happening in Egypt? Like what's going no, on No, don't talk about Egypt. It's so sad. Oh, <laughs> and <confusing>. no. <laughs> so we have a new pharaoh in the south All right. called Takelot II. He takes over in 860 BC after Harsiasa as the pharaoh of the 23rd dynasty. The 22nd dynasty is still going on in the north under Osorkon II. And it's hard to tell the difference between these dynasties. They are both Libyans. Okay. 
And there's actually two other Libyan dynasties waiting in the wings in the very far north of Egypt. And this is going to get much worse. It's oh, gosh. so confusing. It's the third intermediate period, and it is the, the long time of the 22nd dynasty, which is so messed up that, uh, yeah, if I talk to anyone who's really good in Egyptology, I will try to understand what happened here, but it's, it has been super hard to, to understand Egypt. It, but it's still a protected country. And they have time to squabble with each other and they are still doing well. They have the riches of the Nile and they are falling behind the whole world. Ugh. So you go from being super ahead of everything to being so fractured. Yeah. That you have multiple That's... dynasties trying to rule one country. It's not long ago that they were the new kingdom and they were perhaps the most powerful nation state in the world, but they are definitely not that anymore. Are they going to regain any ground anytime soon? Um, yes and no. That's also uh, very, very confusing, but there will be, uh, they, they will be united several times. And we'll talk about that when it happens. All right. But they're definitely not united now. Gotcha. So what's, um, Talked a little bit about trade. Yep. Anything? Uh, we uh, haven't talked much about. Some... Yeah, I was gonna say we haven't talked much about trade between, you know, the Far East and the empires we talk about most. We talk about both of them, but we haven't said much about what they do together. That's an interesting question. Yes, was there contact between yeah. the Near East and China? And it seems that there was at a very early age. Uh, there was jade trading in 2000 BC from China to Barakstan over the Pamir mountains. There are mummies on the other side of Himalaya in 1600 BC that have like Chinese stuff. And there is possibly Chinese silk found in Egypt in 1070 BC. So I guess this is the time to first mention the Silk Road. Uh, what you People tend to know about the Silk Road, the great sort of way that stuff traveled from China to the Roman Empire, pretty much. Right. Uh, the real Silk Road starts in the Han Dynasty, that's 200 BC in Roman times. But there is something uh, now, and there are the great grassland steppes of Asia, so merchants can travel and they can if they can't travel, the goods can travel. So one tribe can move stuff to another tribe that are, so things go from tribe to tribe. And, and actually items move from China to, to the Western world. And there will be an event in the eighth century BC that will increase this trade. And it is the great, great expansion of the Scythians. But we'll talk a lot about that. Also, the, the Persians, uh, the establishment of the Persian Empire will do a lot of good for the Silk Road. Right. Well, that's very interesting. We have one final episode, uh, one final thing for this decade that's uh, quite interesting and that will affect our story a lot for every episode coming up. Wow. Okay. Remember this guy, Arami? Yeah. Uh, do you see how close his name sounds like Armenia? Uh-oh. 
<laughs> uh, that's that's uh, contested, so I won't go any further on that. But he is <laughs> okay. a man of the Nairi tribes, and they are in the mountains of Turkey and Armenia. And he manages to unite the tribes. Finally, wow! He, okay, he takes a lot of. Uh, he has uh, some knowledge of Assyrian culture, and he sort of copycats the Assyrian state and creates this state in the mountains and its name come, its name comes down to us as Urartu but this is an Assyrian name for this state and we'll talk more about what they call themselves later but we will talk about them as Urartu because most of our sources are still Assyrian and, and this is a, a genius move on Aramis part he creates a, a mountain fortress pretty much a whole kingdom that is protected by high mountains in every direction. And they have enormous uh, mining resources. And they have access to great sources of food and water and uh, everything you need for a successful kingdom in the mountains. And they have these protected mountain valleys that they can uh, get great stuff out of. And the direct cause for the founding of this nation is Ashur-Nastipal II, that he has done so much. and. Uh, the, these constant wars with the Assyrians for many hundred years. So now Urartu will rise as a united state. It will become a major headache for Assyria. And they form this state around the worship of Kaldi, the god of war. What? So he is like very similar to Asher. <laughs> And especially this early Urartu state is really a carbon copy of Assyria, except for one thing. Yeah. They suck as warriors. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they are, they are like, they don't have the Assyrian indoctrination of 2000 years. Yeah. So they, they will manage to copy a lot of Assyrian stuff and they will actually become a formidable army, but they will never ever be able to stand up to the Syrians in open battle. But they don't have to because they have these mountain fortresses. So they are masters of building castles and towers and walls in the mountains. So they become really, really uh, obnoxious to the Assyrians. So the Assyrians will have trouble getting to them. Okay. And it's really also contested if these are the Armenians. And I like to put uh, that question in, uh, in the box and address it later. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll put a pin in that. Come but remember to it. the state of Urartu. 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 That's, some of these are fun to say. Call like Kaldini. That's just a fun yes. word. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that the Urartians probably call themselves. But I remember another word that I think is better attested. Oh, but yeah. I'll talk about that later. Okay. We'll talk about the Urartians so much. Sounds good to me. Well, I guess this brings us to a close. Our next episode. Asher Nasrpal II. Yes, you got it right. I did it. Haha, look at that. Paid attention. Uh, will finally die. Aww. Oh no! Lord of Massacres dies. Actually, why are we sad? I mean, seems like a terrible human. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was pretty terrible. <laughs> so finally, 
And uh, we will set up for the Battle of Karkar in 853 BC, the biggest battle the world has ever known. When you have an alliance of the beaten states, they unite to take on the full might of the Neo-Assyrian army. It's showdown at Karkar. This is very close to the Mediterranean coast in what is today Syria or Lebanon, that, that area. Hmm. Karkar. That'll be... That's got to be a heck of a fight. So, please visit us on YouTube. There you can subscribe and like and share. Uh, also, give us a review on iTunes. You can tell people about the iTunes as well. Facebook.com slash fan of history. Also at Twitter at the fan of history. Give some updates there. Or visit us on the web at the fan of history.wordpress.com. So for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dom. And this has been the fan of history. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.